Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. I want to speak from the subject of rest up. Rest up. You know how sometimes you just need to rest up. It's been a long day. You got to rest up. Uh, Going through some stuff, rest up. And uh, so would you pray with me as as we dive in? And I believe God has something special for us today. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, I just ask, God, that you would speak to us in a very clear and a very real way today, Lord. We haven't come here to play church. We've come here to encounter you. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would use my mouthpiece, God, that it would be for your glory and for your name. I pray, Lord, that you would penetrate our hearts and that we would leave here, um, that we would leave here not the same, that we would leave here more and more looking like Jesus. Um, Father, we surrender this time to you and we're expecting in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I, I was thinking this week, has anybody ever, have you ever felt or have you ever had a, a horrible night's sleep where you just got no rest? Like all of us have, I'm sure, right? Whether you're a father of Jesus or not, we all have bad nights. Now, I started to think, isn't it true, though, sometimes it's our fault? Because we get lazy, right? We fall asleep on the couch, and then we wake up in the middle of the night, realize we're on the couch, but still stay on the couch because we're so exhausted, we don't want to go to the bed, and then we sleep and toss the turn all night. Anybody ever been there? Come on, don't act like you've never fallen asleep on the couch. Uh, what, what about when it's freezing, your comforter fell off, you got a sheet on, you wake up, realize you only have a sheet, but you're freezing. Your comforter is literally on the floor, but you just can't find the energy to pick it up. So you toss and turn all night, have a horrible night's sleep. Anybody? What about kids? Listen, if you're parents, have you ever had your kids sneak in your bed? Like our kids know they are not to sleep in mommy and dad's bed. That's just not how we do it. If you do that with your kids, whoo, more power to you. We don't do that, right? So our kids try to sneak. Amen. So our kids try to sneak in bed, like, like you know, like little lizards. They just kind of creep in, try to be really still. And so a lot of times we'll wake up in the middle of the night, and maybe it's Oli, Abby. And I know because they're kicking me. But I'm so exhausted, I just let them kick me all night. Because I don't want to get up, put them back into bed, and go through that deal. I, I think sometimes it's our fault. But then I, I was also thinking sometimes it's not our fault because it has, it has nothing to do with being lazy. It just has to do with what we're resting on. That totally takes us out of the game. So I'm 39 years old now. Thank you for all the birthday love last week. 39 years old, and your body starts to change as you get older. Now, I know I'm not, you know, some of you guys would look and be like, you're still a baby. Um, but your body starts to shift in your 30s a little bit. And I have this, uh, this L5-S1. Anybody, anybody over 30 have an L5-S1 <laughs> issue on, on your spine? It's my lower lumbar, and it always hurts on my right side, always. And it's hurt for probably about a decade, but in this last couple of years, it's like I feel it all the time. And the doctor says it's because I don't have a six-pack, like I should just like do my core and hook all that up. So I just think it's probably going to be hurting for a while, I assume. <laughs> so I, I started to realize, though, two years ago we bought a bed. And for the first six months it was good. And then I started to toss and turn a lot in the second six months. And it was one of those box beds, you know, uh, that you pull out of a box. It was relatively inexpensive. And, and then 
six months later, I started tossing, turning a little bit more. And then the last six months, I've been dying. Like, like literally, uh, I would wake up about six times a night. I try to put pillows under my legs to like level out my back, roll on my side, all this crazy stuff just to try to get some peace, some sleep, because I would toss and turn all night. I, I would toss and turn so much, I'm excited to get up at 5 a.m. Like, I'm just ready. You know, you just get up in the morning, you're like, I'm done, fine, you win. And so I started to think, maybe it's my bed. But come on, you know, beds are a lot of money. They're expensive. So you want to hope and pray it's not your bed. But it got to the point where I'm like, man, Jack, I need to do something. I don't care how much money we have to spend, I'm dying. And she's like, yeah, go ahead. So I go to Mattress Firm and I ask them, I said, hey, man, I got this L5S1. Do you have an L5S1 mattress? And the guy kind of laughs and he says, I do. I was like, oh, he says it's called a purple. Purple bed. I'm like, a purple bed? What is that? Let me show you what a purple bed is. So purple bed, you have two layers of uh, polyurethane foam. And then you have this rubbery stuff on the top. It feels so weird when you lay on top of it. It's just, it's strange. But he said, yeah, this was designed by doctors um, for burn victims, that it would relieve pressure where it needs to be relieved and it would support where it needs to support. I was like, you got my attention. How much does it cost? And then he stops me and says, well, you know, you spend 20000 on a car and you spend half your life in your bed. I'm like, oh, man, it's going to be a lot of money, right? And so he tells me the price and I'm like, is there like a, like a next, like a lower level purple? Um, <laughs> And so he says, no, but what I can do is you can get a refurbished one, meaning somebody tried it out for 30 days, they didn't like it, and you can buy one of those for a half price. Shout out to Mattress Firm on that. If you need a mattress, go that route. And, uh, but here's the deal is you can't return it. So I was like, oh, man. But it was, I figured it, it was worth a shot. It was worth a shot. So bought the mattress. And uh, I went and picked it up myself, save on shipping and delivery, right? You just got to work the angles, ladies and gentlemen. And, uh, and so bring the, the bed home, no change for a, cu a couple of days. I don't really notice a big difference. And then all of a sudden, it's, I, I woke up one morning and it was like, I slept through the night. <laughs> like this thing works. And then another night and then another night. And this, it was, this was so cool. About two days ago, I was wrestling with my kids. And I stopped for a minute and I thought, man, my back hasn't been hurting. And so I tested it, and I'm like, yeah, it's still there, but it's not inflamed anymore. So it, it just doesn't hurt like it did beforehand. And, uh, and I thought it was interesting because the old mattress gave me some rest, just not the proper rest. Like, like the old mattress, I, I, would, I would sleep, but I never got to that deep sleep, that REM sleep. And that rest never went the distance. It was, you know, a couple of hours, and I'm tossing, and I'm turning. And I started to think, I wonder how many of us, uh, aside from our physical body, when it comes to our soul, find ourselves resting on top of things that can never give us the proper rest that we need. Like, like we're, we're resting our soul on some things that they give us momentary, momentary rest, but they can't go the distance. They, they can't provide that deep rest that our soul desperately longs for. Now, of course, I think uh, first that rest is ultimately found in Jesus. Uh, that there's, there's an eternal rest that will, will stir in our souls until Jesus fills that void. But then I think even as a follower of Jesus, many times we get our eyes off of that reality and we, we still have this internal, uh, these internal struggles that we have to battle through. 
And I think a lot of times the enemy works really hard uh, to get our eyes off of the reality of Jesus and onto some other things. Let me show you. Onto some other things that we try to rest our souls upon. Now, I just gave you just a plethora of examples because I think many of us would look at this and say, we know that our, none of that is going to actually satisfy our soul, but yet we still pursue it with our time, talent, and treasures as if it will. Many times not even realizing that we're resting on something that can't go the distance. And then we wonder, why do I feel so restless inside? Why do I feel so uneasy and when our soul is resting on things that can't give us the depth of rest that it needs and can't go the distance, we find ourselves, number one, if you're taking notes, we find ourselves feeling so agitated, don't we? And you have this little angst on the inside of you because you're not happy, because you're lacking joy, because you're lacking peace. It creates a turmoil on the inside and it starts to leak out. In your conversations, you start to say things that normally you wouldn't say. You have an attitude that normally you wouldn't have. And, and there's just this, uh, 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 there's just this little angst that we have. For some of us, it's very vocal. Others of us, it's very internal. And so we don't necessarily display it a whole lot, but it's like it's there and everybody knows it's there. Everybody can feel it's there. It's just not very expressive. And we just become so agitated because we're, we're, we're looking, our soul is looking for a proper place to rest. I think, I think from there we, we get a little bit agitated. And then if you're taking notes, jot this down. We, we start to, to so settle for average. When, when we're resting on things that can't go the distance, the first thing you're going to notice is you're going to start to settle for things. Ladies, uh, if you're single and, and that sense of being lonely has war on your soul and if you've been putting the, the hopes and the confidence of your happiness and your joy based on finding somebody else, that wears on your soul because that can't go the distance. And so what ends up happening is when it begins to mess with our soul, we start to say things like, well, he's kind of cute. I'll give him a shot. Well, and we start to settle for average. We start to settle for, for something far less than we know God has, has called us to. I think it happens in marriages. I think you can have a, a sustainable marriage but not a thriving marriage. I think many times what happens in this place when our soul is agitated, uh, we, tend to, uh, we tend to resort to a mediocre marriage where we're going through the motions but there's no more investment. There's no more pursuit. There's no more spunk in life. You know, we're not praying together. We're not pursuing Jesus together. It's just this kind of, just this, this, this repetitious routine and, and we start to settle. I think we even find this, we start to settle in our relationship with God because we feel like God's not working. And so we're like, man, forget God. I'm going on a Netflix binge. <laughs> and it gives you rest per episode because you're lost. I remember Jackie and I, that was the only binge we did was this movie called, or this show called Lost. It, we we must have spent hours on that thing. Never again. I never, I shut Netflix down. I was like, we, and the ending was so horrible. We're like, get in there, get in there, get in there. It was like the biggest disappointment ever. I said, I will never do that again. And I haven't. <laughs> so, but we start to settle and all of a sudden these things start to replace the pursuit of things that our soul really needs and desires. I think we've all found ourselves here. I, I, I find myself, I can find myself there as a pastor. Because how many of you guys know you can do the work of the ministry and be disconnected from God? 
So nobody's exempt from this. And then I think we go from so subtle, and then what happens, we get so blind. We start to lose vision. I'm reminded of Elijah in the Old Testament. This guy just, I mean, he's so connected with the Lord. He calls fire down from heaven, burns up the prophets of Baal, consumes the altar. I mean, just an epic moment. And then this woman by the name of Jezebel starts to pursue him. And really it's a demonic influence using this woman that begins to wear on Elijah's soul so much that he starts to lose vision. He starts to lose, um, there there starts to be a a blindness to what God has called him to do. He starts to resort to feeling isolated, like he's the only one. And he almost to, to the point where he was like, man, just take my life. I'm the only one left. And God's like, what are you doing? But, but we find ourselves in those moments when our soul is, is not at proper rest. We're going to find ourselves lacking vision. We're going to find ourselves blind in areas that maybe we used to see clearly in. But we just can't see so clearly anymore. And then I think we, we go from there to getting so discouraged. Uh, uh, oh, I messed up on that one. We get so discouraged because we're blind. And then <laughs> we get so Discouragement starts to settle in. Just like with Elijah, it just starts to settle in and it starts to go crazy. And then we start to soul compromise. And this is where we actually kind of, we start to indulge in sin. Things that we know are wrong, but it just doesn't seem that wrong anymore. Like things that used to get under your skin, like no way. Like, man, I'm walking with Jesus and, and, and I don't want to hurt this person. And all of a sudden there comes this lackadaisical approach in us. Because we're weary in our soul. And we start saying, all right, click. We start saying, okay, and we tell a lie. And I, I don't know what that struggle is for you, but I'm sure maybe some things are going through your mind right now that when you find yourself in a place of compromise, all of a sudden sin starts to creep in and then it starts to, to, to bring some decay. And, and as that decay starts to settle in, you're going to know. You're going to know because lastly is you're going to get so frustrated. You're going to be so frustrated. And then you're just... God, what are you doing? How come you're not working? Why am I in this place? What am I? And, and, and the Lord's like, man, I, I want to invite you to, to, to rest. Like it's not just your physical body. You know, if your soul is wore out, that will wear out your body. And he's like, man, I, I want you to come and rest on, on what can properly give you the rest that your soul needs. If you're taking notes, jot this down. Our soul was never meant to rest on things but to rest in Christ. Now this is a truth that if you, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus and this is brand new to you. Man, this is, this is, this is reality. But maybe you're a follower of Jesus today and you know this. But there's still that pursuit. There's still that idea or that, that thought, that lie that the enemy has used all the way from the garden that something outside of God will settle or will satisfy in this season. And it never works. But the lie continues to work. The lie continues to work primarily when our soul is in a place of exhaustion. It's it's where the enemy looks for that compromise. He looks for that frustration. And he's like, man, I'm going to come in and I'm just going to wreak some havoc. And so, so, so our soul was never meant to rest in things. Our soul was meant to rest in Christ. In fact, Jesus said it like this in Matthew he said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now, what was Jesus talking about? 
Well, the context of this passage, Jesus is speaking about how the people have been so burdened down with religiosity, with dead religion. Meaning this, the, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they've, they incorporated over 200 more laws that weren't even mandates from God. Just more burden on the people. And they're like, man, this is, there's no life. It was heavy. I, I think not to mention that heavily affected their culture. And so to try to keep up with the Joneses, to try to keep up with the demands that culture was requiring, it, it's a heavy load. I think we feel it in our day. We, we feel the, the pressures of life on so many ends. I mean, we have access to the world via devices. We see all the atrocities happening across the globe. We see the, the new contemporary trends and, and, and the new statuses. And, and we see all this stuff. And, and if we're not careful, it just starts to weigh. And, our, and we start to get exhausted because we become distracted in pursuit of things that we, we believe are going to provide some type of a rest. And this is the sad part is a lot of times it happens subconsciously. And then we wake up one day, we're like, man, what, what is going on with me? That's why we have to be alert. We have to pay attention to what we're resting on at all times. That's just not like, hey, I gave my life to Jesus. Cool, I'm good. It's like, yeah, now walk it out. Open your eyes. Pay attention. Pay attention. Lean. Lean in. So he goes on to say, he says, take my yoke. This is in, in picture of an oxen. Take my yoke and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus said, listen, the only place where you're going to find rest for your soul is in me. That's it. Before salvation, after salvation. It's the only place you're going to find rest for your soul is in him. But I think it's, it's funny because as a follower of Jesus, I think many times we just lose sight of this. I mean, come on, how, how many of you guys were worried this week? How many of you guys have been worried for months? Maybe years of just kind of there's so much going on in life and, and, and it's so easy to feel like, yeah, God, I know you're there, but I got all this going on. And I, I get it and I love you and, and I know you love me, but I'm just so distracted by everything that's going on. And all of a sudden we lose sight of where we find our rest and then we start to go looking for it somewhere else. And this is a, a, a consistent pattern. This just isn't for people who don't know Jesus. This is huge for people that know Jesus. If, you could, if I could tell you how many calls that I get from people that love God but are in turmoil inside, it would blow your mind. And, and so, so I, I was thinking the other day, like, I'm the guy that always loses his keys. Is anybody, anybody in here so irresponsible like me? Always. Like, literally, any of those that have been with me from youth ministry... Like Misty and Phil, like they know every single youth night, where's, where's my keys? Where's I'll leave Sunday service. Hey, guys, uh, where's my keys? At home, Jack, where's my keys? And this last week, it was 6 a.m. prayer. If you guys want to join us for prayer at 6 a.m., you should on Thursdays. We meet down here. We pray over all the, the prayer requests. And at 6 a.m., I know it's early, but it's a sweet, sweet time. And uh, so it was, it, was six, uh, it was about 5.30, 6 a.m. prayer. I got to get, I got to grab coffee, got to get to the church, and, and I can't find my keys. So I'm like, I'm looking everywhere. And, and this is what's so embarrassing is my mom gave me this thing called a tile. You know what a tile is? It goes on your keychain and it connects to your phone. So if you lose your keys, you just hit the app on the phone. It rings 
a loud noise so you can find your keys. I've had that thing for like a year and a half, maybe a little bit over a year. I don't know, quite a year and a half, but over a year. And I still haven't connected it. It's on my keychain. It's still not connected. I was convicted last night. I'm like, I need to connect that thing. And every single time I'm like, I need to connect that. I need to connect it. But I never make the connection. And then guess what? Each time I'm spending, I'm just like spinning my wheels and I'm frustrated. And I'm anxious because when you lose something, when something is not right, when something is, is, is going to affect my day, it's going to affect my time, it's going to affect everything. And I'm like, oh, man, where, where are my keys? And if I could just make that connection. And Paul makes that connection for us in Philippians chapter 4. Or I'm sorry, yeah, Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. He says this, he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Continue. And he says, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. What, what Paul is saying here is the, the, the link between your restlessness and your anxiety and peace is prayer. But I think we, we listen, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you probably have this on a coffee cup. Maybe a couple t-shirts. But it's interesting because I don't know about you, but I just used to kind of offer up a couple of prayers saying, hey, where's the peace? Hey, Lord, so I need this, need that. Struggling here. Restlessness. Where's the peace? What Paul is saying is not just simply, hey, offer up a few words to the Lord. What he's saying is, is throw yourself completely on him. Rest everything on him, on his goodness, on his faithfulness, on his character, on what Christ has done for you in the cross, life, death, and resurrection. Like, like throw everything on that. And here's the sign. You may say, well, I do that. Still don't have peace. You want to know the sign that you've done that is thanksgiving. Because you're so grateful and it's genuine because you really trust that he's going to move on your behalf. Because you've thrown everything upon him, your soul can be at rest. It doesn't mean that, that we're null of responsibility or, or if there's something that God is asking us to do. That's part of resting on him. God may be asking you to do something and you need to be obedient to do that. But, but, but you, you got to get this picture, though. Paul is saying when we're throwing all of our trust, all that we are, to rest fully on him. And he says, in that place, you'll know because you'll have a thankful heart, you'll be able to rejoice in the midst of whatever you're facing. It doesn't mean that it's going to just be easy. But I don't want to nullify what Paul is saying here. I don't want to excuse what Paul is saying. Because he says that there will be a peace that surpasses all understanding. Like that's a supernatural peace. That, that's just not a peace that's kind of peace. No, there's a supernatural peace that will guard your hearts and minds. Now, the Philippian church, they would have been very aware of guards, uh, especially those that, that were surrounding the city. It's a military term that he uses here, that, that that peace surrounds and guards your inner person. And it's supernatural. I love what John MacArthur said. He said it like this. He said that this peace transcends human intellectual powers and analysis, human insights and human understanding. It is superior to human scheming, human devices, and human solutions. Since it is a supernatural work, it resists human comprehension. 
It's just a, a peace that you couldn't even fathom. And you wonder why, we wonder why the enemy works so hard to keep us from the place of prayer. Why? Because if you're living in this peace, you're going to be living in a great spot and you're going to be a tremendous threat to him. Because everybody else is watching your life. Like, he, he does not want you to thrive in that peace. Because you'll begin to tell people about Jesus in the midst of, you'll testify of God's glory in the process. There'll be a joy. There'll be, there'll, there'll be an, 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 an unexplainable, uh, 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 unexplainable whatever when it comes to your life. I Meaning people will look again and it's like, how do you do that? It's a peace that surpasses all understanding. So you can see why he works so hard to keep us from the place of prayer. I can prove it to you. How did your prayer life look last week? Like, like, was it shotgun prayers? Like, shotgun prayers are awesome. Like, hey, Lord, I'm on the go. I love you. Awesome. I do shotgun prayers all the time. But was there any intimate prayer where you actually set aside, maybe got on your face. You don't need to get on your knees to pray, but maybe you stood up because you got an L5S1 issue and you stood up in your room, in your closet, instead of bend down because it's going to aggravate it. Right? How much time did you spend just alone with God in prayer last week? And, and, and here's, here's the deal. He fights so hard. And he uses two lies all the time that I constantly hear that I want to rebuttal today. And the first one is this. Taking notes, jot this down. That prayer is not relevant to my life. Prayer is not relevant. I mean, come on, man. Like, I'm dealing with real life. You want me to go in my closet and pray? Or your room or bathroom, wherever it's quiet. Your car, like it just doesn't seem—it just doesn't seem like it's gonna work. I mean, I'm dealing with real stuff, man. Want me to take time out to pray? Now we would never say that, but our lives show that. We just got so much to do. It's the enemy saying, "It's not relevant. It's not gonna work." Remember, you kind of tried that before. It didn't work. And it's funny because when Jesus was led by the Spirit of God in Matthew chapter 4 to go into the wilderness before his ministry took off. It says that he was led by the Spirit and he spent 40 days fasting. Now, a lot of times the fasting portion gets a lot of conversation. And even the temptation portion, portion as Satan came to tempt Jesus during that 40 days. But why was Jesus going into the desert for 40 days fasting? Well, fasting was always something that they would do just like we do for a time of focused prayer. And so I thought it was interesting that Jesus is entering into a time of focused prayer, and that's where the enemy shows up and tries to distract. And, and he shows up and he says this. I'm going to show you a picture. He says, hey, Jesus, why don't you turn these stones into bread? That seems a little bit more relevant to your life than rocks in a desert. I mean, be it you are the son of God, this just doesn't seem to make sense at all. Like, why? You're hungry, bro. How is being in the desert and fasting, you think this is really going to move you towards the mission that the Father has for you? Why don't you turn this stone into bread? I think he would translate that to us today. Why don't you get out of your prayer closet and go make it happen? Come on, you're talented, you're gifted. You got to figure out a plan. You got to work it out. Just make some bread. Get some bread. Forget the stones. 
What are they accomplishing? But that's what the Father had instructed Jesus to do. That's what the Spirit of God was leading him into that place. It didn't really matter. This is what the Lord said. And so Jesus, obviously not moved by that, said, man shall not live off bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God on to the next. But how many of us quit in that moment and go make some bread? How many of us quit in that moment and just say, you know what, uh, maybe I'll try again later. Prayer. It just doesn't seem relevant. It doesn't seem connected to what's really happening in my life. You see why the enemy fights so hard. I'm reminded of a... Of a um, a story in the Old Testament, 2 Kings, about a man by the name of Naaman. This guy was a, a, a military superstar, but he had leprosy. And so, so long story short, Naaman, he uh, gets word that there is a prophet in Israel that has the potential, um, that's used by God and has the potential to bring healing to his body. And so he goes in pursuit of, of this prophet Elisha, and, and he gets there, and uh, he has all his chariots, he's super pumped. He's got all his goods, you know, brought a lot of, a lot of money to say, hey, man, I'm a pretty prominent guy. Um, and he shows up. Elijah doesn't even come out to meet him. He's like, hey, man, what's up? Uh, you know who I am? Just, just saying. I got, like, orders from the king. And so long story short, Elijah says, listen, go dunk yourself in the Jordan River seven times. And he's like, what? Bro, I got a skin disease. That water's filthy. It's not relevant. No, 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 just go dunk yourself in the Jordan seven times. Huh? Like go get in your prayer closet every day and cry out to God. What? And look what he says, so funny. Naaman, it says, he got angry and he left saying, I was telling myself, he'll surely come out and stand and call in the name of Yahweh his God and will wave his hand over the spot and cure the skin disease. He was looking for a moment. That's relevant. Something spectacular. That's what we want. Don't we? We want God to do something spectacular. But we won't even obey him in the practical. And it says, aren't the Abana and the Fafar rivers of Damascus better than the waters of Israel? Like, man, can I go in a cleaner river? It's not relevant. I got a skin disease, man. I don't want to subject myself to the Jordan. And it says, look, at it says he could not wash them. Some of you guys, you guys jump ahead. Just stay with me. Don't read ahead. Just stay with me. Like, miss the moment. He says, could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and left in a rage. I'm not doing that. This is ridiculous. I thank God in those moments for people in our life that help us come to our senses. Thank God for moments when, when we have friends around us, shout out to small groups, to, to, to look at us and say, hey, let me give you another side of the story. Look, look what his servant said. His servant came and he says, Naaman's servant went to him and said, my father, if the prophet had told you to do some great thing, would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you to wash and be cleansed? So he went down, dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, and the man, as the man of God told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. It was just like, hey, if he called you to, to stand on the mountaintop and proclaim all of this awesome stuff, would you do it? Well, yeah, because I'm a prominent guy. But how much more 
If God says, will you just spend some time with me in your closet and see that I don't move in your life in such a way that won't only change you, but will change your home, your city, and potentially the world. Just go and pray. Just go. I'm not really sure how. Man, jump into step two. I'll give you some pointers. Step two of our growth track next week. But, but you, you, got, you got to hear me on this. There's not a for, sometimes there's just not a formula. You're, just, you're talking to him. You're, 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 you're getting in there and you're going for it. you got your Bible handy. And, and man, it's, it's just a combination of crying out and opening up God's word and crying out. And, and I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you, it may seem so disconnected from your life, but will make the biggest impact that you, you could have ever imagined. Let me, let me share with you a quick story. It was in the uh, uh, 1900s. Um, actually, no, I'm going to save that one for later. It was uh, a gentleman while crossing the Atlantic on an ocean liner, F.B. Meyer, famous man of God, was asked to address the first-class passengers. At the captain's request, he spoke on answered prayer. An agnostic who was present at the service was asked by his friends, so what did you think about Dr. Meyer's sermon? He answered, I didn't believe a word of it. That afternoon, Meyer went to speak forth, uh, to the fourth-class passengers. Many of his listener, listener, listeners in the morning uh, went along with him, sorry, um, including the agnostic who claimed that he just wanted to hear what the babbler had to say. Before starting the service, the agnostic put two oranges in his pocket, and on his way, he passed an elderly woman sitting in her deck chair fast asleep. Her hands were open, and in the spirit of fun, the agnostic put two oranges in her outstretched palms. After the meeting, he saw the old lady happily eating one of the pieces of fruit. And he said, you seem to be enjoying that orange, he remarked with a smile. Yes, sir, she replied. My father is so good to me. Your father? Surely your father cannot be still alive. She said, praise God, he is very much alive. What do you mean? Pressed the agnostic. She explained, I'll tell you, sir, I have been seasick for days, and I was asking God somehow to send me an orange. I suppose I fell asleep while I was praying, and when I awoke, I found that he had not only sent me one, but two. The agnostic was speechless and later converted to Christ. Don't underestimate the mundane. Don't underestimate the, the small things. If you're taking notes, I want you to jot this down. Don't miss the miracle in the mundane. Don't miss it. Some of us, we want the spectacular. Listen, if God chooses to do that, awesome. But let's be faithful in the unspectacular. Let's be faithful in the mundane and trust and see what God does. Last one is this. Lie number two. If you're taking notes or taking a picture, the enemy will come and whisper, prayer is a waste of my time. It's a waste of my time. Come on, you felt that before, right? You're down there and you're like, Lord, oh man. It just kind of feels like your prayers are hitting the ceiling. Lord, I just, uh, just thank you for this day. It always starts with a thank you for this day. And, and then all of a sudden it just starts to flood. Wow, gosh, what am I doing? I got so much to deal with. I got, oh, Lord, I, I don't even know what to say. I'm, what is going on? And the enemy just comes and whispers, you're wasting your time. And we pray and we're like, okay, just pray. 
I don't see anything happening. Right? And then all of a sudden it gets worse. And you're like, uh, maybe I, maybe I need to like in Jesus' name instead of like in Jesus' name. Or may, and the thing that you're praying for just continues to get more dysfunctional and more chaotic. And you're just like, what? And the enemy whispers, you're wasting your time. You're wasting your time. But I love what Paul says. He says in Galatians chapter 6, he says this. He says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. But whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary then in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. But Satan loves to come and just say, quit. What is this really doing? You could be making stuff happen in this time. A lot of times we're looking for instantaneous results, and I think it's a part of the culture that we, we live in. We just, we need it now. That's why I think in our devotional times, as followers of Jesus in our culture, we gravitate more towards God's word than prayer. Because at least with God's word, we get something tangible right away. And so we neglect prayer because in our hearts sometimes we just feel like, oh, it's, it's a waste. We would never say that, but we live like that. But we need to see our devotional life. Listen, you're not spinning your wheels in prayer. You're sowing seeds. That's, you got to shift that in your, in your mind. When you're not seeing results, you're not, you're not spinning your wheels, you're sowing seeds. Our devotional life is so much more like a garden than a microwave. Like I'm going to take a seed right now, I'm going to put it in this dirt. I could take a little bit of water right now and pour it on there and guess what, it's still going to look the same. And then I'm going to look tomorrow and... I'm going to water it a little bit. Look, it's just the same. It's the same. It's, it's this, this beautiful reality of we, we plant and we water and then we sleep. Because only God can make it grow. But what Paul is saying is, listen, don't get it twisted. It's impossible not to reap a harvest if you're sowing continuously to please the Spirit. Like, it's bound to happen. It, it's, it's a spiritual law. But a lot of times we don't get to reap that harvest because we quit. Do you know how many times I want to quit? Because I'm not seeing what I thought I would be seeing. God says, keep sowing. Just keep scattering. Just keep sowing. Because he promises that we'll reap a harvest if we faint not. You're not wasting your time, ladies and gentlemen. You're sowing seeds. So relax. Get comfortable in that place. Get comfortable with not seeing stuff right away. It's countercultural. But it's the very thing that has the potential to change everything in our life, in our city, in this world is the reality of prayer. It's the greatest, it's the best investment you can make of your day. And I, I think this is so special. There's a woman in the scriptures and her name is Mary. Some of you guys may have heard of her. She's found three times in the gospel. Many, many times she's only talked about because she, uh, she's, there's this dynamic between her and her sister Martha. And Martha's really busy and Mary is sitting at Jesus' feet. It's, it's a famous story in the Bible. But Mary's mentioned actually three times in the scriptures. 
three times. And each time she's found in the same place at the feet of Jesus. The first time she's crying out to God because her brother died. She's in pain and agony. And Jesus said he wasn't going to die, but he died. And, and she's trying to say, well, if you were here, and she's wrestling with the Lord and just trying to figure out what was going on. Then he raised Lazarus from the dead and said, I told you so. And, uh, and then the next time he's just sitting at her feet, at Jesus' feet, and Martha's anxious and she's worried. She's like, come on, Lord, tell this woman to help me. And Jesus is like, Martha, man, settle down. What Mary is doing right now, she chose the better. And, and listen, that food that you're preparing is going to pass away, but the food that I'm giving to her will never pass away. That's awesome. And then the third time, it's probably my favorite. Let me, let, me, let me read the story to you. It goes like this in Mark chapter 14. It says, while Jesus was in Bethany reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar. We know that this was Mary from the other gospel accounts. A, very, a jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Continue. And it says, some of those present were saying indignantly to one another. We know Judas Iscariot, was, Judas Iscariot who later betrayed Jesus, was driving this um, conversation. He said, man, this could have been sold for more than a year's wages. And then the money given to the poor, and they rebuked her harshly. I think this is so amazing because when this passage is preached, it's always about how much it costs. But it's interesting that, it's, that it speaks of how long it took to get or to purchase something of that value. So, so, so in essence, it's almost like, you know what, how much time you would have to spend to get that back? A year's worth. And Jesus says, oh. You see it as a waste. She sees it as an investment. As a matter of fact, we don't even know if Mary knew what she was doing. And that's what's so special. Sometimes we come into that prayer closet and we have no idea what we're doing. But God says, I got purpose in that prayer closet. I'm preparing in that prayer closet. And, and look, look what he says. He says this, he says, she did what she could. Jesus rebuked him and said, man, you got to sit down. Don't rebuke, this, this woman's doing a beautiful thing for me. He says, she poured perfume on my body beforehand for what? To prepare for my burial. That here Mary in this place of devotion, pouring out her heart, her soul, and her life, all of her, the, the best of what she had, the best of her time, the best of her wealth, she's pouring this out. And in this particular moment, she might have had no clue that that moment of prayer and praise was simply a preparation for salvation to come to the world. That she had a part in the redemption of humanity. Jesus says, no, 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 she's partaking. She's preparing my body these oils for burial. Listen, prayer just isn't for peace in the moment. It's for preparation in the future. God is doing something. She didn't see the manifestation of that yet. He had not been crucified. But Jesus said, listen, this woman has done such an incredible thing. Wherever the gospel is preached, her story will be told. It's never a waste of time. Never a waste of time. Let me read you one last story and we're done. In the 1800s, 1880s, a young woman who was an earnest Christian found, uh, or a young man who was an earnest Christian found employment in a pawn shop. 
although he disliked the work, he did it faithfully as unto the Lord until a more desirable opportunity opened for him. Well, to prepare himself for life of Christian service, he wrote on a scrap of paper the following resolutions. I do promise God that I will rise early in the morning to have a few minutes, no less than five minutes with you in private prayer. I will endeavor to conduct myself as humble, meek, and a zealous follower of Jesus. And by serious witness and warning, I will try to lead others to think of their needs, of the needs of their immortal souls. I also hereby vow to read no less than four chapters in God's word every day. Kind of sounds like our one-year Bible, right? I will cultivate a, cultivate a spirit of self-denial and will yield myself a prisoner of love to the redeemer of the world. That young man was William Booth, who later led thousands to Christ and founded the Salvation Army. What, what, what am I saying here? This is what I want you to do. I want you to take William's advice. And I want you to simply do this. If you're taking notes, jot this down. I want you to believe big, but start small. He just said five minutes a day. I'm gonna start there. Sometimes I think we get pumped up. We're like, man, I'm gonna do three hours. Man, you're not even spending three hours a month. How about five minutes a day? How about develop some rhythms of self-denial, of denying the flesh, of denying what, what doesn't seem relevant, of denying all that, and just say, God, I, this is what you say, and I'm just gonna go for it. And just develop rhythms, rhythms. Because those four chapters, listen, over a year's period, he read through the entire Bible. And just over periods of time, listen, wisdom isn't built in a day, it's built daily. And so what am I saying, church? I'm, I'm calling you to prayer. If we're going to be a church that's about anything, it's got to be prayer. Because that's what's going to shift. We need a miracle. Like some of you are sitting in here today, you need a miracle in your family. You know families that are in need of a miracle. You can't just make that. You can't just create that. That happens when we cry out to the living God who's able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond can ever ask, think.